All right. We're wading in some deep waters this morning. We're going to wade into some deep uh, theological waters, some deep uh, eschatological waters, some deep philosophical waters. And so I always find it best uh, when I'm going into deep waters like that to quote someone who uh, at least knows what they're talking about in this realm. So I quote the great Martin Marty McFly, who upon uh, looking around at his surroundings and realizing he wasn't sure where he was, uh, turned to his passenger who was next to him in the flying DeLorean that was the time machine and said, Doc, when are we? And that's our question for this morning. When are we? There are so many questions that we ask ourselves. Who am I? Who is God? What am I supposed to do? But the question I want us zeroing in on this morning is when are we? When are we matters? We have a clock in our house and we got a lot of digital clock. We have a clock in our, I don't mean to brag, but we have a clock in our house. We have a clock in our house in the living room that has Roman numerals on it. And I have a, we have two little girls and our oldest is nine, almost nine. And she's very, very bright. But when she looks at that clock, she will stand right by that clock and go, daddy, what time is it? Because she's used to the digital clocks and she needs me to interpret the time for her. And so I have to go, well, baby, it's, it's 12.15 or whatever. The reason she wants to know what time it is is because only when she knows what time it is does she know how she's meant to respond, right? She, only then does she know, oh, it's time for me to get dressed for school or we're about to leave for school or we've got soccer practice or it's time to go to bed. Only when we have an awareness of when we are, when are we, can we live the lives that we are meant to live? And so that's what we're going to do today. And I'm not talking about the times today. I'm not talking about COVID or political upheaval or, or uh, on TV they show ads for phones you can fold, which like, oh, I didn't know I wanted a phone that could, well, no, I had one in 2001. Uh, and <laughs> it's not that. It's the idea of the biblical Time. And so I'm going to use this rope right here, and we're going to walk through. This is me. I might also do some laundry while we're here and hanging on the line. We're going to walk through biblical history to get a sense of when we are. Okay? Everybody, deal? Deal. As if you're going to say no. And we're in a series on Acts. We're in a series on Acts. And so we're going to pick up on what the disciples, the followers of Jesus, were thinking about God. We're going to grab one key aspect from this passage. Now, the disciples, they have just recently gone to the Jewish Supreme Court who were very mad at them because they were talking about Jesus. And so Peter and John, two of the key disciples, come back to the other Jesus followers. And, they, and this is what happens. We pick it up in Acts 4. On their release from the Sanhedrin, Peter and John went back to their own people, and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, when those people heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. What the Sanhedrin had said was, quit talking about Jesus, and they're like, thank you, no, we're going to do what we want. So they praised God, they prayed to God this way, they said this, sovereign Lord, they said, sovereign Lord. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. And what they're about to do here is they're about to quote something from Psalms, the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. They're about to quote Psalm 2. And Psalm 2 was a psalm. It was a song, kind of like the song uh, little Kyle was singing here. Uh, it's a song that they would sing when they anointed a new king. 
And so they would sing this song when this new king came to power. And so they quote that. And here's what it says. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord against his anointed one. What they say, the reason they would sing this is they would say, okay, we're going to put Joe as king. Joe is now king. Joe is sitting on the throne. And they would sing this song. And the song was, hey, why would anybody try to go against King Joe? God is on King Joe. God is with King Joe. Why would anybody rage and fight? And the, and the song goes on to say, break off the chains. That's silly. God is in control because he's in working through Joe. And so these disciples are quoting that saying, gosh, all these people are trying to buck. They're trying to buck against God's holy plans. Indeed, Herod, King Herod, he was the Jewish king who wasn't all that Jewish, and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles, the Romans, and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against our holy servant Jesus, whom God you anointed And then catch verse 28. They did. All of those people who are plotting and scheming, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. We'll come back to that. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable us, your servants, to speak your word with boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. There's a lot in there, signs, wonders, all sorts of stuff. But I want to zero in on one key point, and it's this. Verse 29, those people, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, those other Israelites, they did what God, your power, and your will had decided beforehand should happen. And that word power could be translated hand. And that word will could be translated intention. They did what your hand and your intention had decided beforehand should happen. And catch that, determined before. In Greek, it is praorizo ginomai. Got a nice little phrase. What it means is this. Everything that happened, God ordained it. Everything that went down, oh, God, they killed Jesus. God ordained it. Oh, they're set up against us and everything too. God ordained it. God put it into motion. And I want us to see this characteristic of God today. And the characteristic of God is this, that he is at work, that he is intentional, that he is strategic. And the word for that is sovereign. He is sovereign. He has been at work in history all along. Now, I know when we bring up the sovereignty of God, that can be a bit of a third rail, an exposed nerve, something that makes us uncomfortable. Because when we look at all the terrible things that have happened in our lives, it can really confuse us. How in the world can God be sovereign? And he's got everything under control. Everything's working along his lines. And yet this happened. And that's some of the mystery. A guy I listened to for years always says this, God is not always pleased, but he's never perplexed. God is not always pleased, but he's never perplexed. 
And so I want us to walk through the timeline of the Bible and see what God's flow has been like and how we fit in. In the book of Job, Job is a a God follower and he says this, I know God, you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. The purposes God has for the world will not be thwarted. So what's God's plan been all along? Well, I'm going to walk us through this line right here. And this line is the history of the world according to the Bible. Now, before, behind this TV over here, it's something that went down long before. We don't understand it. It's pre-time. But there was some sort of, God's always existed, right? He's always existed. There's some sort of fall that happens. There's some sort of angelic beings. And there's one in charge, Lucifer, who says, I want to be like God. He says, no, you're not. And he sends him and his, uh, some of his cronies down to earth. It's a big mystery. We don't get anybody who goes, I can tell you exactly what happened. Doesn't they're lying to you. There is a big mystery biblically of what happens behind the TV. You can just put that behind the TV. That's what's going on there. But right here with the rope that you can actually see, that's when God goes, let's start time. And he created the heavens and the earth and he put everything on the earth and he separated the day from the night and the land from the sky and all that we separated everything out and he made the earth and he filled the earth with animals, fish, birds, everything. And then he put two people on earth. And by the way, I'm going to go pretty quickly through this. We're not going to get to all of your favorite Bible stories, but he put two people on there. He put Adam and he put Eve. And those two people were meant to be viceroys, vice regents of who God is. They were created in God's image and everything was happy, hallelujah, good time right there. Except that enemy was down here spinning and trying to figure out how can I separate those things that God seems to love from their creator. And so he tempts Adam and Eve with the apple and they take the apple and it causes the fall. And all of nastiness comes into the world right then and right there. And there is separation between man, separation between humans and God. And then Cain, they have Cain and Abel and Cain kills Abel and everything just starts to devolve more and more. And it says biblically, things got worse and worse and worse and people were walking away from God who created them until God finally went, you know what? I've had enough of this. I'm going to clear the slates. I'm going to clear the deck. I'm going to wipe the slate clean, except I'm going to hold on to one guy, Noah and his family, and I'm going to put them in a boat and I'm going to flood the earth. And he destroyed the earth. And only, and it's a crazy story, right? Only those who were in the ark were saved and they got to come out and they got to start things over. But it wasn't long that things started to go awry again and people were going against the will of God. And so God picked this one guy, Abram, Abram of the Chaldeans. He picked Abram and he says, I'm going to anoint you. I'm going to choose you and I'm going to bring out from you a particular, a peculiar people. And so he speaks to Abraham and he promises this thing to Abraham. We call it the Abrahamic covenant. It's a deal between God and Abram. And it's this, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, Abram, and I will make your name great. And that's all nice and good, but there's more to it. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And catch this, all people on earth will be blessed through you. So God has put his finger on Abram. And from Abram, this old guy who's never had no kids, he's suddenly gonna have children. And he's gonna have a son, Isaac. 
And this is where the blessing of the nation of Israel starts. Again, keep in mind, God is at work. He is moving. He is bringing things along this line. And so Abraham in his old age has Isaac. And then Isaac has Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob actually grows into this guy. Jacob's a fascinating character, but Jacob, he's not, he's not like, yes, sir, God, he's sort of all over the place. And he is renamed Israel, which means fights with God, contends with God, because he wrestled God. Can you believe this? He wrestled God. And the nation of Israel was named at that point. Jacob had 12 sons, and those 12 sons end up becoming what, beca- what is called the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those sons, Joseph, ends up going to Egypt. And in Egypt, he has all sorts of blessing. He does all sorts of amazing things. And when he is in Egypt, though, all of a sudden things turn. By the way, we're just through Genesis. So we have 65 more books to go. Uh, but we'll pick up space here. <laughs> That's Genesis. Cut two. The people have grown into an actual people. Those 12 giant fam- and they're all enslaved in Egypt. And God doesn't want his ordained people enslaved. And so he steps into a guy and he says, Moses, I'm going to raise you. Me, Moses? Yes, you, Moses, I'm going to raise you up. And he raises Moses up to come and confront Pharaoh and say, let my people go. We got the 12, uh, we, or we got the 10 plagues. And then finally the people are set free, Red Sea, the whole thing, Charlton Heston, they go out into the wilderness. And he says, I'm going to take you into the promised land because one of the things he promised Abram was land. He promised the nation of Israel land. He says, We're gonna, I'm going to go get you some land. So they're on their way to this wonderful promised land. But on the way, they grumble and they complain. And God says, I'm going to wait. You've got to wait 40 years. 40 years until y'all can go in because I need to, this generation wiped out. God is a God of, strangely, this loving God is a God of, we've got to start over. We've got to start over. He says, we've got to start over. And so eventually, the people get to go into the promised land led by Joshua. They go into the promised land. There's all these bad heathen people there who are just do terrible terrible, awful things. And God fights on their behalf and defeats those bad guys. And they get into the promised land. Well, while they're in the promised land, they go, gosh, everybody else has a king. We want a king. The nation of Israel, we want a king. And God goes, you don't want a king. I'm your king. He says, no, we want a king. So finally God goes, God goes, okay, I'll give you a king. So they give him King Saul. And Saul starts off good and then very good. And then he brings on David. And David is the man after God's own heart. And this is actually our third covenant. I meant to mention the Mosaic, the Moses covenant, when the people were in the nation, were out in the desert. God promised to them, I'm going to give you law. Follow these rules. If you will obey me, you will live in blessing. If you disobey me, you will live in curse. And he raised up the priests who stood in behalf between the people and God and made sacrifices so God didn't just go, I'm going to smite y'all all the way around. And so God set up some sort of system for them. That was the Mosaic covenant. Then we get the David covenant, the Davidic covenant. David, not a perfect guy, if you know the story, man after God's own heart. But God says, David, listen to me, you are a good king. And I will establish your line forever. Meaning I'm putting David on the throne and someone from your line will always be king for me. Well, what happens? David has a son named Solomon. Solomon was one of the wisest people who ever lived. Solomon was also buku, bucks, mixed rich guy. And then he had a son. And when Solomon died, this is when this nation of Israel that God's hand has been on all of this time, the nation splits. And 
Solomon had a son named Jeroboam, and Jeroboam was, I'm sorry, Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. There are these two guys, and Rehoboam becomes king, but he is ruling with an iron fist. And so a bunch of the nation of Israel decides to pull away under this guy, Jeroboam. So the kingdom split. That's my little sound, splits. And up in the north, you have the kingdom that's much bigger. Ten of those tribes, ten of the twelve tribes are there. And you've got Jeroboam as the king, and it's called, confusingly enough, the kingdom of Israel. And they are the kingdom in the north. And they have their capital in Shechem and Samaria. The kingdom of the south, though, is led by Rehoboam. This is the literal line of David. And they've only got basically like one and a half or two tribes of Israel. This is the kingdom of the south, and it's called the kingdom of Judah. So you have the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah. Well, this kingdom of Israel, it's wiped out. They're called the 10 lost tribes of Israel around 721 BC. The Assyrians take over. I mean, it is smoke in the wind. They are gone. We have no idea where they went. But then we've got this remnant, and that's a good word, remnant, this small remaining group that's right here in the south, and that's the kingdom of Judah. Well, they get taken over by the Babylonians, and then the Persians take them over, and then the Greeks and the Egyptians, the Assyrians, and the Roman Empire. And right about here, well, we'll put it, we'll put it right here, we have the end of our Old Testament. And what we've seen is God has made things, and he has made people, and he has selected a peculiar people, this nation of Israel, to bless and to hold on to. And even though there's trouble, it's almost like there's waves, peaks and troughs all around here. God's unique... Specific intentions were never thwarted. But when we get to the end of the Old Testament, that remnant, that nation of Israel is and crushed. And it's at that low point in screenwriting, we would call this the end of Act 2, that our New Testament opens up. And who shows up? Yeshua, the promised Messiah. Jesus shows up. And Jesus walks around on earth, Jesus, the son of God. And he says, I am here to fulfill everything that God has promised. I am here to bring blessing. And that Mosaic covenant that was designed to try to bring you close to God, I am the fulfillment of all of it. And if you will believe in me and my death and my resurrection, you can live with the father forever. This is the gospel. Jesus comes, God comes in human form, teaches people how to live, and then dies on the cross so that he may make a way, a propitiation for our sins, that anyone who believes in him and believes that by his perfect death, they can have right standing with God, they will be with him forever and forever. Jesus dies, rises from the dead, inspires followers, and then we get to here. And we'll come back to that. Because this is where we are, and it's going to end. And when it ends, for lack of a better term, things go uh, cattywampus. It, it is a wild time here. Uh, it, this is the book of Revelation. If you've ever opened the book of Revelation, you know what I'm talking about. It's wildness. It is lawlessness, it is craziness, it is strangeness. We don't fully understand all of it, but basically all sorts of wars, all sorts of confusion about what's happening and this, that, and the other, and there's fights, but then eventually Jesus comes back. Jesus returns for the second time to bring his people back to his own and to create a new heavens and a new earth. And when we get through this, what's on the other side of this TV? The eternal state. 
It's forever. I can see back there. It's forever. <laughs> it's timelessness. It's forever. And what these disciples in Acts believed was that God was always at work doing something. And he will always be at work doing something. Amen? Well, where are we? Somewhere in here. We're in the U. What that's called, that little spot right there is called, that's called the church age. The church age. We, right now, yep, right now, are in the church age. This is where we exist. And I wish I could point out where on this you we are, but I don't know. None of us know. Only God knows. But God has ordained our lives so that we, us, all of us, might live in the church age. What does the church age mean? That word church is really confusing. It's an odd word. As a matter of fact, if you start to look in the English, it doesn't really make sense where it came from. But the Greek word was ekklesia. And that ekklesia just means a called out assembly. It was almost like a political term or like, hey, we need a group of people who are separate from everybody else and let's gather them together. Well, Jesus adopted that word ekklesia to refer to his people. They are a called out assembly a called out people, a peculiar people, sound familiar, who are called out different from everybody else. One of the most frustrating things I find in the English language is the word church, because we call this building a church. And that's really not that different than me calling my house my family. That makes no sense. But we don't, this is the best we can do. But the church, you know who the church is? You, you, me, you and beyond, all believers all throughout history. That's the ecclesia, that's the church. That phrase is used 115 times in the New Testament. Acts 17.26 says this, and by the way, I just kind of feel like someone just needs this verse today. From one man, Jesus, he made all the nations, that, or I'm sorry, Adam, that he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he, God, marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. What that means is you're no accident. You exist when you exist, where you exist on purpose. It is not an afterthought. It is not a byproduct of faceless evolution. It happened for a reason. You live today where you live on purpose. Someone needs to receive that. Well, in this church age, what's going down? We're in this. We better understand the times. We better understand what this means. This is different than this. And this is different than this. And so when are we? Well, I say this, I'll start with the bad news. We're in a time where people who follow Jesus will be hated. Uh, sorry, you'll be hated. Scripture says over and over again, do not be surprised. The world's going to reject you. I think our churches get so... Uh, churches, our, our, our assemblies get so uh, uh, messed up because we're constantly figuring out how can we make ourselves look nice to the world? And we want to be winsome and we want to be kind and loving, but the fact is it's not going to happen. <laughs> we will be rejected by the world, but take heart. 
We're on the side of the Lord. We're on the side of the Lord. In this time, the enemy, <laughs> the enemy will seem like he's winning. Things will go from bad to worse. And it will seem like the enemy has the upper hand. Don't be fooled. Things will look rough. Someone described this season as the season of the Holy Spirit. Really, where this, where this breaks, where this season starts, is Pentecost, where God sent his Holy Spirit on us. The Holy Spirit existed around here. God would bloop, fall on somebody, and they'd start to talk about God in a way they never did, or bloop, start to heal somebody. But in this, I like, bloop, this, at this spot, God came and said, I will live in my believers. I will take up residence in my believers, and I will help you in this season. It's going to end at some point, and we don't know. We don't know when that is. Now, God, Jesus said, keep an eye out. You'll have a gen- you're going to start to see signs that point to it. My favorite is in Romans eleven twenty five. Paul wrote, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. Brothers and sisters, so that you don't become conceited. Listen to this. Israel, this is a crazy verse. Israel has experienced a hardening towards Jesus in part until the full number of Gentiles come in. Isn't that crazy? Meaning this time is going to end when God has in mind, I don't get this, a number of us non-Jews coming to believe in Jesus. And then he goes, that's it. We're zipping it up. That's over. And we're moving on. I don't get it. All I know is God knows when this is, and we don't. We're in a season, we're in a phase. How do we live in this season? Well, I want to talk about what we don't do before we, I talk about what we do. We cannot see God's sovereignty and not be moved. We are not meant to look at our sovereign God and not be affected. If we don't believe in the sovereignty of God, because something in us is chafing against this, right? Something in us going, no, 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 he can't possibly, that's a little crazy. If we don't believe in the sovereignty of God, what are we left with? We're left with nothing. We are left with insignificance. We are left with looking at our lives like uh, we are bubbles of emptiness on seas of nothingness. That was either Camus or Billie Eilish, I'm not sure who. But there is nothing to our lives. And where we'll constantly be looking at the world like a yin and yang. Is evil winning or is good winning? Is evil winning or is good winning? We will be a dot in the universe. But that's not who we're supposed to be. I could list a number of things that we're supposed to exhibit in this season, but I've picked six of them. All right? So let me walk quickly through these six. And they are this. We are meant to be God worshipers. Truth protectors, Jesus imitators, disciple makers, kingdom bringers, and eternity shapers. 
Number one, God worshipers. John 4 says this. Jesus says, a time's coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For those are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. One of the things, if you're looking at your life and you're looking at how is God's sovereignty supposed to affect me today, me on September, what, I don't know, my glasses on, whatever it is, today, how's it supposed to impact me today? Number one, you're supposed to be a worshiper of the king. Something in you is supposed to recognize, whoa, as Neo said, that we are so moved by the bigness and sovereignty of God that you hit the deck and you say, you are God and I am not. We are meant to be God worshipers. Second, and I like this one, we are meant to be truth protectors. Second Timothy, Paul writes this, Timmy, He calls him, what you heard from me, Paul, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. God, guard that good deposit that he has entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives within you. Meaning, God has entrusted us with the truth. The truth that there is a sovereign, loving God who offers salvation to anyone who will receive it. Hold on to that truth. The world has guns aimed at that truth and wants to shoot off bits of it. We're meant to protect the truth. Third, we are meant to be Jesus imitators. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture, Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 says this, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We're meant to imitate Jesus. And what was Jesus' hallmark? It was love. It was love. We're meant to live lives of love imitating our big brother, Jesus. Fourth, disciple makers, and this is big in this joint at Restoration, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What that means is make other little followers of Jesus. Make other little followers of Jesus. Talk to people about the Lord. Talk to them about your walk with him, good, bad, indifferent, whatever it is, talk to them and draw other people and try to help other people walk and become more like Jesus. If you're a parent, do you know that you are a little disciple maker? Those little squids in your house, those are your disciples. You are meant to raise them in the Lord. You can't, oh gosh, who am I going to disciple? How about them? They're right here. They're standing right there. Disciple them. Kingdom builders, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. The kingdom of God is good. It is salt in light. It is every good thing of God. The world, though they will hate us, will look at us and go, but there's so much goodness there. There's so much goodness there. They love one another and they bless one another. And the church, the ecclesia existing on earth If they were gone, our world would fall apart. That's the kingdom of the Father. And the final one is this, eternity 
shapers. Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Meaning this, what you do in this little spot, wherever it exists, that we exist on this spot, that little tiny thing, God says what you do here impacts what you will experience over here. What we do with our time, our money, our jobs, our, our, our energy, every bit of that somehow impacts what our eternity will be like. And that's a mystery but God says it over and over and over again. What we do here, what's that terrible movie Gladiator say? Reverberates through all of eternity. So believe that. We are in the church age. We are meant to be God worshipers, truth protectors, Jesus imitators, disciple makers, kingdom bringers, and eternity shapers. So go do all that, okay? All right, bye. How to eat an elephant? One piece at a time, right? I think. I don't know. I've never, never eaten one. That's in theory. Let this impact you. Create its impression upon you. That we are believers in a sovereign God who has never, ever lost sight of where things are going. And we can live lives that reflect those things that I listed out. Just every day ask God, how can I be more of a worshiper of you? As I'm making my decisions, do I go this way or this way? Do I take this job or this? Do I talk to the, do I date the, all these decisions? How is that impacting how I make disciples? How I raise my children? How I help out with my nephews, grandchildren? How I am a friend? These things are meant to be a lens through which we look at our lives and impact the decisions that we make. I don't know about you, but I only get to live once. No, I think all of y'all too. We get one of these. We get one of these. Dang it, I'm gonna get choked up. We're, we get one of these. And it's on us to make the most of this to honor the God who so deeply loved each and every one of us that he would die a cruel death to establish relationship with us and bring him into his kingdom, bring us into his kingdom. The headline of all of this is you are significant. You are a significant human being with one life and you get to walk with the Father and try and fail and try again to be a worshiper, a disciple maker, an eternity shaper, a kingdom bringer, a Jesus imitator, and a truth protector. May you discover ways to do that every day. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray. God, I, I, I feel very much uh, 
over the end of my skis on this. Because I don't get your sovereignty. I don't get all that you have going. I don't get it all. But I know that I'm just meant to respond to your giganticness, the hugeness of you, the sovereignty of you, and to trust you. And to live lives that reflect who you are for the good of the world, for the good of others, for the good of my family, for the good of my friends, for the good of my coworkers, and for the good of me. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would bless everybody in this room with a profound understanding of their unique significance. In Jesus' name.